You're listening to our podcast series, Dirty Words. This podcast is brought to you by QAD. In a world of increasing change and disruption, it's important to have solutions that can help you not just survive, but thrive. Learn more about QAD's adaptive applications on QAD.com. We've all heard some dirty words in our time. They can be unpleasant and they can be controversial. In our Dirty Words podcast, however, our effort is not placed in expanding the listener's vocabulary of profanity, of course. It is tackling words that are often representative of controversy or concern in the business world with relation to information technology. My name is Tom Robertson. I'm Vice President of the Automotive and Mobility Sector at QAD, and I'd like to introduce my distinguished guest, Carrie Whitman. Carrie is the Vice President of Consulting and Transformational Services for the Americas at QAD. Carrie has more than 30 years of experience in IT and solutions delivery in many transformational projects in her career, uh, both at Delphi and QAD. You know, these are projects ranging from 5 million to 100 million plus, mergers and acquisitions, ERP, all kinds of different things. And Carrie, I just want to welcome you today. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. Oh, you're welcome, Tom. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So today's dirty word, transformation. You know, as I look throughout my career, I've been in a number of companies you know, and a lot of companies, carry want to throw around the word transformation or being transformational. And I think it's a word that companies, you know, they like, they like to throw it around, but sometimes I don't know if they really understand what it means or what mm-hmm. it requires of the people that actually work for that company. You know, and when we talk about things like M&A projects or ERP, my opinion is that sometimes there's nothing more transformative than an ERP project, or at least what it's capable of being. Certainly there's nothing more impactful than an ERP project, but I think it can be transformational as well. What have you right. seen in your career with ERP and transformation? Uh, I think I'll start with, I had to pause the other day. Somebody was talking about how folks that suffer a heart attack you know, and when they're told what needs to be done to prevent the next heart attack, right? Change their diet, their exercise, reduce stress, and they're told that that's what's going to save their life potentially, that only 20% of those people actually change their habits. Exactly. And so what does that tell us? You know, change is hard, even if your life depends on it. We want um, the pill. And <laughs> <laughs> we want that exactly. pill. Exactly. We want the pill. We want the silver bullet. So, you know, I just found that very interesting because it certainly applies to what we do for a living, right? As far as implementing software and that it's hard. It's not impossible, but it it can certainly be hard. And so, you know, I, I wish I had this long list of projects that I've been part of that have been truly transformational over the last 30 plus years that uh, I've been in IT. You know, unfortunately, the majority of them are not really transformational. And that probably is, you know, why, depending on what you read, the 30 to 70% of software projects are not successful. But, you know, there there are bright spots along the way, you know, where I've witnessed companies approaching projects in the right way that are truly transformational. And, you know, that 
that has really been attributed to implementing things in a certain way and approaching the project in certain ways. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, I, I, you know, in my career at a number of manufacturing companies, consulting firms, I've seen manufacturing companies say, you know, we want to grow at 11% or 15% a year. We want to double in five years. You know, and the, the first question I would always ask is, okay, that that is great. That's a great goal. But what are you going to do differently? Right. And so that's the question I would have for you. You know, one of the things that comes to mind, Carrie, is governance on a project, mm-hmm. you know, and how, how do companies that are successful in making some of these changes and doing something differently, how do you see them enact a, a good governing principle for their projects? Absolutely. So it starts with really identifying and focusing on what are those business outcomes that need to be achieved in order to be successful. You know, implementing a new software system is not a business outcome. It's it's a deliverable. Success is not merely hitting a timeline and a budget, both of which are important. Really, success is what key performance indicators do we want to maintain and improve and be able to measure when we're done? So what are those business outcomes? And as I said, really understanding how to measure those as well. And a governance model that, you know, you mentioned governance, a governance model is incredibly important. But if there's business outcomes defined, that governance model is is anchored by those those business outcomes that everybody wants to achieve. And that's particularly important to keep that project team resilient during the project, you know, when there's surprises and challenges and things that come along the way, to always look back on what are the business outcomes that we're trying to achieve. You know, we've all had the guy or the gal that says, I need to have, you know, blah, blah, blah in scope. And if that blah, blah, blah is not attributing to those business outcomes being achieved, then it's time to have that courageous conversation around, well, why do you need blah, 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 right? It's not going to attribute to increased customer satisfaction or higher shipment performance or increased inventory turns or whatever it might be. So having a governance model that is really anchored by those business outcomes keeps everybody in their lane, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things, of course, that we we do and, and we uh, teach at QAD is the three C's where you right. have the concept of customer, cost justified, or compliance. And if it's not done for one of those three reasons, you know, we could talk about increasing revenue and doing all these other things or brand goodwill, but when it comes down to it, <laughs> it's really the three C's, customer compliance right. or cost justification. And I think that plays right. really well with what you're talking about. You know, a, a governance that has too many gates or is not small, clean, and direct can be inhibitive or prohibitive to a successful project, certainly. Exactly. You know, and there's, there's, a, there's almost a flip side to that too, Tom that I think we've all been involved in projects where, you know, there's going to be a surprise somewhere along the way. Somebody forgot something, right? There's a new requirement or it's not a new requirement, but it, it just wasn't understood early on. 
And sometimes project teams say, well, you know, we can't accommodate that because there's no time, there's no money, there's no resources. But if that surprise is what we need in order to achieve those business outcomes, then we need to make room for it. Um, Because otherwise, we're not necessarily, you know, we're not on the right path to achieve those outcomes. So that's another way of looking at it, not just scope creep, but sometimes legitimate scope creep because it's so essential to the transformation of the business. Yes, I've been involved in ERP initiatives where there has been a change in localization requirements in Brazil during the project, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we we had to account Mm -hmm. for that. Uh, Changes in localization in Mexico. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And you just, you have to figure out a way to include those in your budgeting, your staffing and your deliverables because it, it has to be done. Right. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So that, you know, it's actually, you know, when we talk about some of those resources and, you know, staffing and so forth, staffing on these projects is absolutely paramount to success. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with your experience, uh, you know, and I know on these projects, you know, you're continually having to fight the balance between (laughs) skills and availability. (laughs) What do you see for good practices in staffing on these large projects where you've seen those bright lights in in projects? Well, first of all, availability is not a skill. Yes. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) so uh, before we get to that, you know, I think one of the things that's important to, to recognize is that some of these projects end up being IT projects. And unfortunately, that means that it's probably not on a path to success. You know, IT, they're very important stakeholders. There's no question about that. They, they need to be part of the team. They have an important contribution, an important role. They are likely to have been supporting the existing systems in the business for a long time. So they have a lot of knowledge, but they're not the folks that are actually users of the system. So while they need to be important stakeholders, having an IT-led project is, is probably on the path of limited success. So the important thing is to really put a team together of folks that are they represent the business, they know the business, they're respected by the organization, and they're not afraid of change and to have those courageous discussions and disagreements when they come, because they will. You know, there's going to be some tough conversations about what uh, is in scope without a scope, what needs to change relative to, you know, people's jobs and their role and, and um, you know, and how they get their job done. So having a well-respected, knowledgeable, a brave team is incredibly important. And chances are those people are busy, right? Um, and especially in this day and age, everybody's busy. Every company is doing more with less. So there's going to be that challenge of how do we take John or Sue or Larry, you know, out of their critical role to be able to support this this initiative. but you know, that's a choice that needs to be made because what's more important than implementing a system that's going to transform your business? So, you know, making those tough decisions early on to put together the right team is incredibly important. The other thing is, is when you get into these projects that are, you know, multi-site, multi-regional, 
it's it's incredibly important to include the folks that understand the local and the regional requirements very early in the project and throughout the project. A project that's run from headquarters is not necessarily going to be successful. I had a customer years ago that did exactly that, you know, ran the project from headquarters and they ran into an issue where, well, they didn't know it was an issue at the time, but they decided that they could validate all the data for their European sites. And so they did. Oh, wow. um, we went live. <laughs> we went live. And, um, you know, on day two, it was discovered that all the customer data was wrong for Europe. All the addresses were wrong because the folks in the U.S. didn't realize that the addresses are different in Europe. And of course, there were some other issues. So it took us a number of days to to clean that data up. And, you know, there's really a simple way to avoid that, right? Involve the people that know the data, that know the business. So, you know, those, those that would be, you know, my advice when it comes to putting together the team. You know, absolutely. That's a great point because part of that could also be, you know, if you're in, say, the U.S., you know, you don't want people that are outside of the U.S. to say, oh, that's just a U.S. project, just do what you got to do and then, you know, get her, get it done. Or, or right. you know, if, it's, if it's run out of a European company, European headquarter, and then the U.S. folks are saying the same thing or Canadian folks, you know, it makes a great point, Carrie, that, you know, you want to be inclusive of the regions and then being uh, culturally aware as well. You know, one thing exactly. I've noticed, one of the things I've noticed as well, you know, when you're talking about the right skills and attributes of a person that you want to bring on. I always wanted to test for, you know, back in the days before COVID, we actually traveled on projects <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. um, and hopefully, you know, we, we maybe get back to some of that, but that was something that I noticed as well. If you had a year long project or a two year project or multi-year project, you mm-hmm. have to be very conscious when you're bringing people on that they understand what travel means Um, and the length of travel. And, you know, if you have to Mm -hmm. be there five days a week for 12 weeks or, you know, 50 weeks, that was a big thing as well. Cause you you could have a person with a great skill set, great personality, Mm-hmm. But having that person be the same after a year of travel, <laughs> it, you know, it's a, it's a unique personality trait to be able to do that. So that was something else. I yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're uh, right. You know, um, because, uh, you know, travel is not glamorous. So it can be pretty, pretty demanding, both professionally and personally, you know, to be traveling every single week. Right. And, and you're going to have this kind of normal project fatigue that is going to set in on top of that. So it is an interesting combination of things you're looking for when it comes to a team. You know, it's intelligence, it's experience, it's influencers, it's courageousness, and it's willing to get on an airplane every week for six weeks. Um, but it's not impossible, you know, it, especially if right. you know that in advance, you know. Yeah, and I think if the requirements are clear, and also, you know, another important thing that, that I've seen is is really is having a good landing spot for your resources after the project has concluded. I've seen many a project bring great resources on, you know, they're on the project for a year or two, they're out of their 
you know, their old role. So they've been backfilled potentially in that role. And when the project ends, the music has stopped and there might not be a chair. I think it's very, very important for companies to recognize that and ensure that there's a landing spot for those great resources when they get off the project. Yes. Things to keep them on, like, you know, keeping maybe the thought process around a performance bonus or something to get people to finish projects and so forth. But just having the right. landing spot is important. Right. You don't want them to be orphaned, you know, when the project is done successfully. Exactly. Because uh, the, next, the next time a project comes up, <laughs> they're not going to raise their hand and others will have seen the behaviors in the company and they won't want to join either. You're absolutely right. You know, Carrie, in your role, obviously, you are always working with customers. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think as I look back at my own career, the relationship between a customer and the software vendor or consulting partner is really, really important. What kinds of things do you see in a successful customer vendor relationship that drives the, the output that people are looking for, that drives that success that people are looking for? Yes, uh, the partnership, a true partnership between the customer and the software vendor or vendors, because often there's multiple vendors involved, is is just so critical. It doesn't need to be this zero-sum relationship where there's always a winner and there's always a loser. And so having a relationship that's based on Mutual trust and mutual respect is going to make a huge difference. You know, I I had a conversation with a customer, you know, maybe a year ago uh, where, you know, the customer was not happy about something. And I said, you know, we uh, we're going to take care of this. You know, I promise you that we can work through this, you know, and I promise you that we have your back we're going to get you through this and that we don't wake up every morning and, you know, try to figure out how we're going to, you know, not make this successful, right? We wake up every morning and want to make sure that this is successful. And this particular customer said to me, well, that's not what I'm used to. I'm used to constantly fighting with software vendors and not trusting software vendors. And uh, I said, well, um, you're in for a pleasant surprise because that's not how we operate. That's right. And I really mean that. And and this and this person was pretty surprised. And of course, you know, we needed to prove that, which we did. But it makes all the difference in the world when there is that mutual respect that we know they have a business to run. They know we have a business to run, right? Um, we have people to take care of. They have people to take care of. So by having that mutual trust, then we can act as one seamless team. And, you know, when there's those surprises that come along the way, by having that trust, it's going to make it a whole lot easier to walk into somebody's office, you know, pre-COVID and say, hey, listen, we've got a surprise, we've got a problem, let's talk about it, right? So if there isn't that healthy relationship, people start to hold back. And that's not going to be a positive outcome for, for the project. The other thing that can happen is, is that people start to cut corners because there isn't that that trust to talk about the challenges that we're, we're faced with. So just having that seamless, respectful relationship makes a big, big difference. And, you know, to this day, I, I have 
customers that, you know, I'm still in contact with or I'm Facebook friends with because we had that healthy relationship. And not only that, we had a successful project. It wasn't like we all just got along, right? We had a successful project and we all got along and respected each other along the way. Right. And those things weren't mutually exclusive. You got along and that helped drive successful projects. You know, you don't leave a customer. Exactly. Behind. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's, it's funny, you, you talk about surprises <laughs> and having the right, right relationship with a customer so that you can, uh, you know, if you do have a surprise come up, you know, how, how in the planning scenario do you, what are the best ways to operate so that you can kind of try to eliminate those surprises as much as possible? You know, it reminds me of the, of the quote, uh, I believe it's Dwight Eisenhower who said, plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. What have you found in your career, Carrie, to try and maybe eliminate some of the surprises or, or mitigate some of those things through planning? Well, let's see. Uh, well, first of all, you need to have a plan and need to recognize that the plan is as good as what you know while you're building the plan. To recognize that it is a living document it's not something that you just create and then, you know, never update, never look at again, right? That it is going to be adjusted along the way, that things are going to come to light and that new news isn't necessarily a problem, that, you know, a plan is built to be able to be adjusted so that you can pivot when you find out about these new things. And so, you know, having that living plan that's in front of everybody that is being updated as things come to light is really, really important. And, and it keeps everybody very grounded. And if everybody understands the plan um, and they're part of reviewing it and talking about it and updating it, it's going to be that much richer as far as including the things that are going to come to light. Right. So planning and monitoring and managing that plan is, is super important. In addition to that is communication. If you have project managers that just kind of sit by themselves and they plan and they adjust the plan and they don't share that with the team and the team's not part of it, it's really not a team plan. People aren't necessarily living it and breathing it. And so it really needs to be something that the entire team is part of. Absolutely. Because, you know, plans are going to, like you said, they're going to breathe over time and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're going to breathe, they're going to change. As I think back, you know, in my past uh, career, uh, I was at a company where, you know, we, we entered into a joint venture and I think the biggest mistake that I made was not fully understanding the growth that the company would would go through after the joint venture. But mm -hmm. I think in our planning, we were able to create a scenario. And actually, my you know, my I think the colleague, my colleagues in the C suite did not fully <laughs> realize how aggressive we would be in, uh, either. And right. but I think that the ability of the plan to flex and the resources to flex and breathe allowed us to uh, to deal with some of those things uh, successfully. So I totally right. yeah. uh, understand what you are talking about. You know, the other thing that I want to highlight, Tom, and this, this is something that actually you and I worked on together on a project was, um, and it again goes back to adjusting the plan. 
is that often in a large project, we'll have some initial pilot plants, right? And they're pilots for a reason, to make sure that, you know, everything hangs together, everything works, right? But what's important is to take the learnings from those pilots and then apply those learnings to the rest of the plan. And, I, you know, I remember early on doing some pilots and having some lessons learned and saying, wow, you know, we could have done a better job in understanding you know, the integrations that were necessary at this plant or certain business processes. And so we adjusted and said, well, let's increase the discovery that is necessary for the upcoming plants and build that into our plan going forward. So again, it speaks back to the plans, a living, breathing document that is going to take into account our lessons learned as we go through the project. That's absolutely right. Because I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't have the ability to forecast every single thing that's going <laughs> to happen. You just have to be ready to adapt, um, yeah. you know, and yeah. you have to be ready to, you know, to do those things if you're going to transform uh, an organization. Carrie, thank you so much. I appreciate you, your experience. Uh, I think that you know, talking about transformation has been. It's just been a great experience here, and you and I have uh, known each other a long time. And uh, <laughs> and uh, again, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. All right, you've been listening to Dirty Words. This podcast is brought to you by QAD. In a world of increasing change and disruption, it's important to have solutions that can help you not just survive but thrive. Learn more about QAD's adaptive applications on QAD.com. Thank you.